2 Peter chapter 1. For a moment, if you would, I want you to go back in your mind and let's just all pretend it's the first century. We all live in the same village or city somewhere, either in Asia Minor or somewhere maybe along the Mediterranean coast. An apostle has come through or some other leader has come through and shared the gospel and we have come to faith. Um, We've invited other family members to come in and they've heard the gospel, they've responded and we're meeting as a church. And we love the Lord, Um, our lives have been transformed, we're learning as we go and and are desiring a deeper relationship with Christ. We're meeting together consistently for worship. But then one day somebody comes to where we live and uh, they begin to teach and they begin to share some things um, with us and it's interesting what they're saying. Um, And so they are someone that we begin to ask a lot of questions to, and they answer those questions. And, and maybe a little bit over time, they um, are entrusted with leading a Bible study at the church. And they begin to teach things, and we sit under that. But there's something about what they're teaching that just doesn't completely sound right. For the most part, it sounds good, but there's some aspects of it that don't sound completely Um, like we were originally taught when somebody came in and the church was established and how we had been following things. And eventually over time, that person continues to be in that way. And we come to find out that they're actually teaching something that's not in line with Scripture, that's not in line with what's going on. And so the church has an issue where there are those who, um, do we need people, y'all need help holding your stuff this morning? We're having a hard time. Okay, anyway. (laughs) All right. Front row. This section right here is having a hard time. Okay, I'm challenging y'all the rest of the service. Hold on to your Bibles, okay? All right, anyway. All right. Um, and, so, uh, and so what happens with that church is there are those who go with that leader, and there are those who stay in the church and stay under that. What was taking place in late 80s, 50s, and the 60s is that there was heresy beginning to come into the church, which means this. There was false teaching that was there. Either people were taking away from the Scripture or they were adding to the Scripture. And we've been walking through Second Peter, and Peter is dealing with this reality um, in the church and the churches that he is writing to, to these group of believers, wanting them to stay true to what has, has come to them in the Scripture and wanting them to reject things that were false and untrue. So here's what I'm going to do today. I usually don't have a whole lot of disclaimers with my message, but I'm going to give one today. I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender this morning, okay? So I'm just going to say it up front. I'm probably, I will probably say something this morning. My intention is not to offend you. My intention this morning is to point out things that are untrue that are taking place in the church today so that you would see, oh gosh, I've thought that, I believe that, or I watched that, I read that, and I think that that's true or right. But now I see that it's not. And my heart this morning is, again, maybe I do want to offend you in the right kind of way that would cause you and I to go, I need to get that right in my life. And so I'm going to be honest about some things today. Uh, We'll also be honest next Sunday morning. We're going to show a few clips next Sunday morning of things that are being proclaimed from places like where I'm standing all over America today in churches um, what's being taught out there that is not in line with Scripture. And so here at LifePoint, if you're a guest with us this morning, or if you are uh, been a part of our church for a while, you know that we walk through the Bible, and it forces you to not avoid things. You have to, you have to deal with things that are there. And so we're walking through Second Peter. Second Peter is all about dealing with heresy, um, things being taught that um, are not in line uh, with Scripture. And so... Spiritual falsehood was abounding in the first century, and I think it continues to abound today. And Jesus has told us, and Paul as well as he writes, is this is going to continue to be the case um, with the church. So I want to remind us of the outline of chapter 1. We're going to primarily uh, be in chapter 2, just the first three verses this morning. But I, uh, there's a great contrast that Peter makes from chapter 1 to chapter 2. The outline of chapter 1 is threefold. The outline of chapter 2 is threefold as well. Chapter 1's outline was this, know your salvation. We talked about, Peter talks about in those first three verses there, or actually first four verses, 
the glorious salvation that has come to us, all the things that have been there. And then he transitioned, in light of this great salvation that comes, he talks about, I had the ladder over here, if you remember, and there was the, the ladder of virtues that we are to, to exemplify these things because of the salvation that has come to us. And then he closed out chapter 1, affirming the reality and the trustworthiness of the Bible. And, and with verse 16 through 21 at the end of chapter 1, as we enter into chapter 2, by the way, as well, just to remind you, when this letter was originally written, there wasn't a chapter 1 or chapter 2, verse this, verse that. It was just this long letter. And so Peter's flow of thought is connected. And so sometimes I think these chapters hurt us a little bit. I, while they're greatly helpful for location of things, sometimes they hurt us if we're not careful to think, oh, this must be a whole new thought and train of thought here because it's chapter 2 now. So he is carrying the same idea, but he's going to contrast what we see at the end of, of uh, chapter 1 with what we see in chapter 2. Let me just give you where we'll be headed over the next several weeks in chapter 2. So this morning we'll look at the description of false teachers. How do you know, how can you identify what a false teacher sounds like, looks like? Um, secondly, uh, in verses 4 through 11, he's going to talk about the deeds of false teachers. He's going to give some examples there, and that's why I want to show show next week uh, some things connected with that. And then he closes the chapter in, in verses 12 through 22. What is the, the doom? Is what I've called it the doom of false teachers. What will be the end of uh, what they're going to do? So what I would like to briefly do right now is I, I would like to remind us um, of the principles we talked about at the end of chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. And I'm going to zoom through these. We've talked about them. You can listen to both talks on the website, um, but I also can put these on the Facebook page today as well if you want to see all of these principles. And let me talk about for a moment why you and I can trust the Scripture. So in verses 16 through 21 of chapter, uh, of chapter 1, this is what Peter shares with us. We follow gospel revelation. We don't follow made-up stories. And so he says in verse 16 there, we do not follow cleverly devised myths. We're not following nursery rhymes or, or moral stories. We are following the very words of God that have come from his heart and have come to us in written form. So not only that, but the foundation of the church and the foundation of things was the proclamation of the scripture, mainly in the beginning of the, of the Old Testament scriptures that spoke about the coming of Jesus. That's what the early on when the church was birthed, they used the Old Testament as text to say Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these. Now, as the church was being established, there were letters that were being written that have come to us in our New Testament as these 27 books of the New Testament. But we are following, again, not made-up stories, but we are following something that was faithfully proclaimed that God had shared with those who were witnesses. And that's the third thing I want to touch on that we looked at. In verse 16, the third part, it says, But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So the texts that have come to us in the Bible, they were written by those that saw things. Not only did they see things, but they also heard things. So they were eyewitnesses and they were ear witnesses as well. Now Peter writes in 17 and 18 of verse 1 there, of chapter 1, excuse me, he says, For when he, speaking of Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him, by the majestic glory, and this is what the Father said on the mountain of Jesus. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And Peter says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we ourselves were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is affirming here, um, what we have written to you has come from us. We're eyewitnesses and earwitnesses. But when we were there, we heard the Father affirm Jesus. And so what we have written to you, we heard from the very mouth of the Father. And then he comes and he closes out that part. In verse 19, he says this. So I, we saw this, we heard this great reality. But we have something even more reliable than myself who was there and saw it and heard it. We have the written testimony already of the Scripture. And so Peter says in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word, which is speaking about the Old Testament, more fully confirmed than our personal experience as an eyewitness and an earwitness. And because of that, Peter says this, this word that has come to us 
in the text of the Bible is the most fully trustworthy written word among among all books, rises above all books, rises above all philosophy. It's the most certain, sure, confirmed word. And because of that, then Peter says, then that's the place that we stand. It's the most firm place to stand upon that the Scripture has come to us. And then in the last part of verse, or the middle part of verse 19, he says this, because of this reality, you got to pay attention to the Scripture. So he says, to which you will do well, to pay attention. We, why? Why do we pay attention to the Scripture? Well, the next thing he says is, the written word is the most certain and sure, trustworthy light. How do you light your path to know where do you go in a dark world? We've got to have a light. Well, there's lots of fake lights. There's lots of pseudo things that are out there. But how do you know what's certain and true? And Peter says, the Scripture is the true light that lights our path so you and I know what to do. And then he says at the end of verse 19 something incredibly fascinating. He says, so you pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And this is a word that Peter writes here speaking about the second coming of Jesus. So watch this. It's fascinating. I love God's word. And I just love it. And I know you do too. And I know it's such such a great priority. But what Peter says here is fascinating. So the Word of God is a lamp in a world that you and I live in today. It's like a lamp. It lights the path. But there is a light that is above all lights, and that's Jesus. And when He comes back, there's coming a time when He comes back, when He will be the light. It's not that that the Word of God, we know the Scripture says the Word of God is eternal. But Jesus is the Word, right? We know that, John 1.1. He's the Word. The written word speaks about him. He's the living word. He's the greater light. And so Peter says, until Jesus comes and you're in the very presence of the living light, the living word of God, you follow the written word of God until you are. And so until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, in other words, until Jesus is present, you follow in a dark world the light of God's word. And then Peter closes with two further thoughts. He says, The written word has come from God. And so he says in verse 20, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So man doesn't get to say, somebody today in 2019 doesn't get to write a book and say, um, God has spoken to me. This now, this book that I've written is equal to the book of James. Nobody gets to do that. Nobody gets to do gets to decide that God's the one who does that. We believe that the Scripture has been complete. God has spoken everything that He wants to speak for you and I to know. It's complete. It's accurate for us. It's from His heart. It has come from Him. So the written Word comes from God. And lastly, Peter says this, that when the written Word was written, men were led or carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the author, even though God used men... The author of the Scripture is who? It is the Holy Spirit. And so all of those things, Peter affirms at the end of chapter 1, this is why you can trust the Bible. Now as you come to chapter 2, he's contrasting the end of chapter 1 with false teachers, those who just make up things for people to follow. It's important for us this morning for me to show you a couple of things. So the first point this morning is, Why the church, the centrality of the church, the central piece of the church is the proclamation and the teaching of the Bible. So back behind us here, our kids are back here. The house over here, our kids are in there. On Wednesday nights, our students are out there. They're all over this campus in small groups. Why is what everything we do here at LifePoint Fellowship, why does everything flow out of a proclamation of the truth of Scripture? I think the reason we do that is this, is that God has called the church the church has to have the primary focus in that task. That is the primary thing that we are to do. The buoys go into prisons and jails. Why? What do they do when they go in there? Rick, on Saturday mornings, Rick, you're still going to the jail? Rick goes into the jail every Saturday morning here in Collin County, and he teaches the Bible. Why do, what do they, why do what they do there? Why do what we do here? Why do when we go on mission trips, why do we go to proclaim the truth of God's word? The reason we do that is the primary focus in God's call upon the church is proclamation. 
It's the primary mission. Remember the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28? Go into all the world and teach them what? Everything that, to observe everything that I've taught you. So this is the primary thing. And I want to show you something really important to this before we walk. So I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just go to your left for a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy is the pastor of this church in Ephesus. He's young. So Paul writes two letters to him to kind of guide him as he's leading the church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14 and 15, or actually, yeah, um, he really, or really 15, 14, 14, yeah, I guess mainly 15, but we'll read 14 15 with it. And he gives him some specific instructions. And I want to share these with us before we walk through the text in, in 2 Peter 2. So here's what he writes, 1 Timothy 3, 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, in other words, if I don't come to you, I want you to know how, you, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, let me just stop there because I want to deal with mainly verse 15. Now, when I grew up in the church, um, you know, it's different how multiple generations see things. When I, was at, when I grew up in the church in Waco, I wasn't a believer until I was 17, um, but we attended church. And I was always told in a room like this, do not, don't you run in the church. This is God's house. And so I, so I, I want to I I define for us here what Paul is meaning by household of God. This building is not where God lives. Is God present in this building? Absolutely. God used to, in the Old Testament, be where? In the tabernacle and the temple, right? But in the New Testament, who's the temple? Who's the house? We are. So once you come to faith, we become the house and the temple of God. Should you be respectful in the church building? Yes, you should be respectful in the church building. I, I know that there's, there's standards and things because this is a place where we proclaim Him, we worship Him. But we also, as the youth ministry, do some pretty crazy things in here, sometimes on Wednesday nights and New Year's Eve and things of that nature. So, so if your kids are ever running through the church, so this pastor doesn't have a problem with that. Um, um, this is not the household of God. God doesn't live here, okay? Um, even though he's here. He's everywhere, but we are now the temple. Have I made that clear? Have I made that clear? I just want to make sure that I make that clear. All right? So listen to this. So look what, look what Paul says to, to Timothy. He says, listen, I want you to know how you ought to live and operate in the church. And let me tell you about the church. The church has a primary role, and he says this, which is the church of the living God. And he says this, and the church is this. It is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Now, you may be going, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, the Ephesians knew that as this letter came to Timothy and and Timothy said, okay, church, I'm your pastor. We got a letter from Paul. And one, one Sunday they're meeting together and Timothy's got this letter that has come from Paul. And he gets to this, this sentence here and he says this. And the church is the household of God, the family of God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Immediately, everybody sitting in that room would think to the highest hill outside of Ephesus where the temple of Diana and the temple of Artemis was. In the ancient world, there was not a temple like this anywhere. It sat on the hill on the outside of, of Ephesus. It had 167 columns that stood on a foundation. The columns were made of pure marble. Every one of the columns had been donated by various kings. And there was a roof over the temple of Diana. And so they're sitting in the church, as this is read, they knew this, that those columns held up the roof built on the foundation where things inside happened with worship to Diana or Artemis, however you wanted to call um, the God that they were worshiping. And the columns basically did this. They upheld, because you could see them from everywhere, they upheld what was being taught in the temple. Paul just turns it up on its head and he says this. Here's what the church is. The temple of Artemis is a temple holding up false teaching, but we as the church are this, standing on the foundation of Jesus. The pillars are the church, 
that uphold what? The roof, which is what? Truth. Under the banner of truth. So the primary role of the church is we are a pillar that upholds the truth. Now here's my first thing. I'm going to offend somebody this morning, okay? I, I, ho- I hope you hear my heart. I'm not really trying to offend you. The role of the church is not entertainment. Do you understand that? Friday night, Canyon and I were down here in the new movie theaters off 380 and Harden. We saw the new Avengers movie. That's entertainment. We don't want to do that on Sunday morning. Did I enjoy Friday night? Yes, other than it was really late for this person right here. It was really late about after 1 o'clock when the movie was over, but I enjoyed it, and it was just a moment of time. But what we do here is not entertainment. Entertainment's not going to get us anywhere. Oh, it makes us feel good, and we, we feel good until about 3.30 this afternoon, and then we got to face life again. But what we do here in this morning, the proclamation and the upholding of written truth of God's Word that has come from Him through men led by the Holy Spirit, it will impact us 12 years from now. You realize there's something I could say today that you will never forget until you don't breathe anymore. And it's not because I said it, it's because I proclaimed it today because it's been written, it's come from God, written through men under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so, so Paul uses this architectural language to say to the church, here's what the church's primary role is. It is to uphold biblical truth. We become that. We're the strong columns. The church becomes that that uplifts on the foundation of Jesus. And as we, as we hold up the truth and the revelation, we honor the foundation, which is Christ. And we honor what He has spoken. And we, we lift that up. And so that's what Paul wants us to see. It's the same idea of Peter here. This We trust the Scripture. And so church... It's not about entertainment. I think I'm really funny. My kids don't think I'm funny. Brad, do you think I'm funny? Brad, sometimes Brad says. I think I'm funny. I like to have fun. But I think what we do here on Sunday mornings, I want us to laugh sometimes, but I think what we're doing here on Sunday mornings is so important that sometimes there's just a soberness to it. And we've got to be serious about it. And I've got to plead with you and I've got to plead with me that we've got to get our lives lined up with God's Word. And so the church in the world is to uphold the truth, and this is what He has called us to do. And here's why. Go to Second Peter now, and let's walk through the text. Because in this world, there is a certainty that lies are always going to be told. They're going to come up, um, and it's going to come up mainly, not just in the world, but in the church. So look at verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 2, and let's read 1 through 3. But false prophets also rose among the people. Now it's a reference to the Old Testament. Just as there will be false teachers among you in the New Testament. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master, who is Jesus, who bought them, who died for them, who redeemed them, who paid the price for them, And these false teachers will bring upon themselves swift or steady, certain destruction. Verse 2, sadly, many will follow their sensuality. It's not grounded in godliness, it's grounded in sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Look at verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So let me just take a moment um, to speak into this point here in the first part, um, first, first two parts of verse 1. Here's what Peter's saying. Let me just tell you the certainty of certainties. Paul tells it. Jesus tells us, listen, within the church, listen, within the church, there's going to be lies that are going to be told about God, about what the Bible says, about what something means. And so five times in verses 1 through 3, Peter says, this will happen. It will happen, not might happen. This will happen. And so five times he does this. Jesus said the same thing. Listen to Matthew 24, 24. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. 
And he says, see, I've told you this beforehand. Paul, a little bit later, same letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit who wrote the Scripture expressly says that in later times, some are going to depart from true Christianity, from the faith. What are they going to do when they depart? They're going to devote themselves to deceitful spirits and to the teaching of demons. Again, this is in the church. Those who claim the name of Christ, they're going to get... They're going to drift from the true faith, and they're going to make up and start following teaching of demons. He says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Here's the next thing I want to give just culturally to show you what's going on in the church. Paul wrote a second letter to Timothy to encourage this pastor. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he said this, But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And let me tell you why, why it'll be so difficult, because people are messed up. And he says, people will become lovers of themselves. See if this sounds like anywhere you live. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous and watch this he's about to use a word here that was the number one song in christian america last year it got a dove award it was the number one song and it's gonna it's a word here that paul uses rightly translated into english reckless you know what reckless is reckless means just to go about causing destruction with no with no Heart, no love, care, it's just to bring destruction. The word reckless, love, was the number one song in Christian radio last year. And at this church, we won't sing it. And the reason why is this. God's love is not reckless, it's intentional. Does He bring destruction to our pride and stuff? Sure it is, but it's not reckless. It's because He's loving and He's caring and He's intentional. And so we, even again... If things are popular, it doesn't mean that we sing it, we read it, we, we go watch movies about it, whatever the case may be. And by the way, um, if you have a problem with some of the stuff today, um, you can email marcmark at lifepointfellowship.org this week, and Mark will be glad to answer some of your questions. No, I'm serious. If you want to talk about some of this stuff, I'm, I'm more than glad to talk with you about it. Um, but don't come to me with your feelings. Come to me with Scripture. Don't come to me, well, I think this. No, don't come to me. Don't email me with, I feel this. Don't do that. If you're going to come to me and talk to me about something, you come to me because I'm going to talk back to you, not about what I think, but what I think the Scripture teaches. Oh, we've got a deal there? I think, that, I think we, have to, we have to honor that. That's the way we do that. And so, so again... So just because something is out there in evangelical land doesn't mean that we read it, we watch it, we see it, we sing it, etc. Jude wrote about this great reality. And the, the point is just simply this. Lies are going to be arisen or they're going to rise up in the church. And so the church has to know this. The reason they do is because who's the author of lies? Satan. So if the church is to be a pillar of truth, to hold up truth, what does Satan want to do? He wants to knock that down. He wants to tumble it. And the way to do that is with lies because that's the only way he can do things. He has been doing that from the very beginning. In case you don't know that, let me just remind you. These are Jesus' words in John eight forty four. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. And because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So watch. Lies are going to rise up in the church. It's going to take away from the truth of God's word. There's going to be things added to God's word that are not actually true. This is going to happen. It's, it's happening because our hearts are messed up. It's also going to happen because Satan is the father of lies and he wants to lie and he wants to manipulate. And the third thing is simply this, is the world just hates truth. Do you know that? Jesus told us this. Let me just give you a couple. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. John fifteen eighteen. 
If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so just Peter talking here, coming out of this great text of why we can trust the Bible. He says this, but here's the reality. Lies are going to come. They're just going to come. They came in the Old Testament. They come in the New Testament. Do y'all remember Israel? Romans 3 and Romans 9 tells us this, that God gave originally the oracles, the speaking word of God to the nation of Israel. How well did they do with that? Not very well. So now it's come to the New Testament, and now God's given this revelation in the New Testament through Christ. The last speaking of God is Christ. And the scriptures come to us, and, and here is this this reality is, is there's just going to continue to be this reality is there's going to be lies. And so the church, we have to make a crucial choice. And that's the first, third thing this morning. We have to make a crucial choice to defend and to hold up the truth of Scripture. And I want to share one thing with you before we walk. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 20 before we walk through the rest of that. Go back to Acts chapter 20 just for a moment. Because I want to show you something. I want to show you, if you've ever wondered, why do I preach the way I preach? No other text greater than this one that I'm about to read here um, leaves my mind and my heart um, almost weekly. Acts chapter 20. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem for a trial um, that will eventually lead to him going to Rome and where he will be beheaded. And he stops off on the way to Jerusalem to meet with the Ephesian elders one last time. And so in Acts 20, verse 28, listen to what he says. Be careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay careful attention in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, and their aim is to not spare the flock. And from among your own selves, from among your own selves, not, not the Roman government, but from your own selves, people within your church, there will arise men speaking twisted things, and they will draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, here's the thing that has driven me. 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for Paul was among the Ephesians for three years, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And so 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And this drives me, this this section of Scripture drives me. This is why I am the way I am on Sunday morning, if you ever wondered why I messed up. This is because of this. Paul says, listen, Ephesians, do you remember when I was lived among you for three years? Every day I pleaded with you, I pleaded with you, and at times in tears, that you would not stray away from the God who bought you and who loved you. And so he pleaded and he pleaded and he pleaded and he pleaded with them. And so now he says, I've got one last time to plead with you. And the last thing he says is this. And now I commend you to the word of his grace. What does that mean? It means what? To the scripture. And here's what Paul was saying. I'm not going to see you ever again. And that text in Acts 20 is beautiful. It says that after Paul said that I'm not ever going to see you again, it broke the Ephesian elders' hearts and they all hugged each other. Grown men hugging and weeping together. And it said that they wept because Paul had told them that they wouldn't see each other again. And Paul says, listen, I'm trusting that after I'm gone, as much as we love one another, I'm trusting that God's word's going to be enough for you as you move forward. And so there's a crucial choice for us as a church and as evangelical churches in the West to make a decision, what kind of church are we going to be? Now, we can make some changes here at LifePoint that could get more bodies in the seats. But we have to ask ourselves, at what cost would that be? At what price would we pay to, to change the faithful proclamation of God's heart in the Scripture? So here's what I want to do. We've got, we've got about, yeah, yeah, I'll say it. Can you all handle 20 more minutes?
Can y'all handle 20 more minutes? I want to give you 20 more minutes. I want to give you the principles of false teachers, and I'm going to give you some examples, verbal examples today, so that you and I can see this. And the first one is simply this. These are the characteristics. The first one is in verse, the last third part of verse 2. They operate on secrecy. It says they will bring, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. False teachers have a hidden agenda and even a prideful one where don't challenge me. We're not going to discuss this. Um, and so they are very, very difficult to touch, talk to. And, and you've seen this before. You may have even gone to church, church this way before. You can't ever challenge the pastor. You can't tr- challenge the elders about something that's said. We want you to know we're, we are more than willing to discuss doctrinal things connected to the Scripture, cultural things connected to the Scripture. We, will, we always want to do that. Why? Because that's our role. It's our role as the church to make this great thing. And so the, uh, of the truth of the Scripture known to us so that we know how to, how to live the Word out. And so, so Peter says here, listen, you want to know what a false teacher is like? They're not open to discuss anything. It's their way or the highway. And, and it can't be that way. Now, there is a sense, a their way or the highway, and that is standing on biblical truth. But if someone's wrong about a view of things, there needs to be an adjustment. Now, I have had that in my life. I became a youth minister at age 20. Do you think I had all this figured out at age 20? Do you remember when you were 20? Did you have everything figured out? All your theology squared, settled away? No. I have learned this, that now I'm at this highly mature age that I'm at now that I don't know anything still, <laughs> that there is so much more of God that I haven't figured out yet. And the reason is, it doesn't mean that I don't know anything. And I think I know a whole lot more than when I was 20. But I think 33 years later now, I've come to realize the depth of God's character and the depth of God's word is inexhaustible. And so therefore, I'm just at a place where I just plead, I need lots of help. I need lots of things to learn, to refine, and to grow. But false teachers are very secretive. Let me give you an example. When we were meeting in the school, if you, some of y'all remember, some of y'all don't know that we used to meet in a school. We were a church in a trailer. Pulled up to Evans Middle School every Sunday morning, unloaded the trailer, set it up. Rob, you remember those great days, Mary? So much fun. We do not want to go back there. We do not. We like just turning on light switches. It's awesome. It's great. But there's a guy that visited, and he was a leader at a church here in the area, and I can't remember who it is. I don't remember his name. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I don't know. He showed up one Sunday, and he was a leader in another church, and he told me after church that I like what I saw this morning, and I was a leader at my church. I taught. I did this and that. Um, When do you think I will be able to teach here? And I said, well, not anytime soon. And he had a shocked look on his face. I said, look, sir, I don't know you at all. And in my head, I'm thinking, if you were such a great leader, why are you not at the other church teaching? Why do they not want you teaching over there anymore? And so I said, well, it'll be a while because what we do here is it's real easy to come in and say a bunch of stuff, but we want to watch your life. We want to watch if what you say and how you live lines up together. I love Rick Needham, but I didn't let him immediately speak. I trust Rick Needham with my life. If I had... if if of all, some of all the people in the world in the middle of the night, if I needed to call somebody to help understand doctrine, that man is one that I would call. But I didn't let him stand here immediately. I love James Roberts. I didn't do that. I love Larry Metcalf, who's no longer with us. But he didn't get to stand up here. So the reality is simply this. You have to watch someone over time. And then you learn, okay, do I trust you to teach children, teach youth? preach, to lead a small group, to lead a group on a mission trip. You don't rush that, and here's why. Doctrine is really, really important in the Bible, really important. And if the church is going to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth to uphold it, then you cannot allow leaders to be there who do things. Let me give you some examples of the church today in general. This is what's taught. And I've watched video after video as I've been preparing to walk through, walk us through chapter 2. Church after church after church, pastor after pastor, stand up on the stage and they say this. 
and indicate that mankind is intrinsically good. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe it is because, one, I know my own heart. And two, the Bible says that we're not intrinsically good. We're, our hearts, the Bible says, are desperately wicked. As a matter of fact, it was so bad back in Noah's day that God flooded the earth and wiped out mankind. Why? Because he said this, when he looked at the people on the earth, all they wanted to do was to do evil. That's what their hearts were continually wanting to do, was evil. So we're not intrinsically good. And so I'm here today to tell you, nobody in this room today is good, and that includes me. Now the good thing this morning is this, is that there is a good God who is so holy and perfect, and He has redeemed us. And that's the only goodness in us, is that He has the power to raise us to life. And so we praise His name. We don't point to us. We don't point to anybody else. He alone is good. We are not good, but that's taught everywhere in churches. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity. Now they speak of Jesus, but they deny the Trinity. They deny the deity of Christ. They don't claim that He's God. They claim He's an angel. And they deny the bodily resurrection. The Mormons claim that one day we will all be gods. Well, the Bible says there is one God, and He will remain one God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. In Roman Catholic theology, they teach that Mary is the co-redemptrix with Jesus and aids in our salvation. And one of the things that Roman Catholicism theology teaches is that Mary goes to her son and helps as the motherly figure, the son, to plead with us on our behalf for our help. That doctrine makes a mockery of what happened on the cross. Roman Catholicism also teaches, and this happened yesterday and today all over in Catholic churches, that a priest has the power through a wafer and juice to turn it into the very body and blood of Jesus. It makes a mockery of that. Jesus died once and for all. His blood and body don't need to be raised every week. But again, watch this. These things are taught week after week, week after week, week after week, and nobody stands up and says, hello, wait a minute. Question, question about that. And here's why. The banner of tolerance that has dominated our culture today in political correctness, guess what it has drifted into? The church. So don't you offend me. Don't you say anything against my ideas and my thoughts that are outside of Scripture. Don't do that. Because used to, remember, you could debate things and it was person to person and you could debate with the person, you could try to persuade them, and, and then you could kind of do that, and maybe nobody was persuaded, and you kind of left it at that. Now today it is this, is you can't attack even my ideas. You can't even attack my ideas. You're intolerant because you have to hold my ideas, not just my personhood, but you have to hold my personhood and my ideas to the highest standard. And I think that has drifted into the church. And so sometimes we think, oh, that person is really nice and, you know, they're successful in their business. So let's give them a role at the church. And I say, no, no. We uphold the truth as the church. And so Peter says here, listen. These things are important. False teachers are going to secretly and subtly teach heresies. Now, I've, now, I've been doing this for 33 years now. I've never had one person ever come into a church that I've served at and said, hey, I'm a false teacher. <laughs> they don't do that. What do they do? They come in and they what? It's very subtle. We have had people sign the membership doctrine thing. They'll smile, they'll sign it, and they've had an agenda that we've heard about over the years that they've come and they have taught things and proclaimed things that don't line up. And so we've had to have conversations about that and we've had to say to them, okay, either you line up with what you agree to because this is who we are as a church or, or you need to move on. And so these things are critical. Paul mentions specifically names of people like Hymenaeus and Alexander and Philetus and there's numbers of people that 
that, that he had to address publicly in these letters in the reality of these things. And he, he's saying this. He's saying, listen, here, here is the reality. There's going to be people who come in. They secretly teach things. They've got agendas. And secondly, they will even deny the sacrifice of Jesus. They will downplay it. Look what they say. Next, next part of, last part of verse 1. Even denying the master who bought them. We're about done here. And, the, and this, this word here, denying, means this. They deny the lordship and the sovereignty of God. And they downplay things that the scripture greatly affirms. And this is, this is what's happening in the church. And a lot of churches and denominations today, they downplay the virgin birth. This is really important. The virgin birth is important. If you were here this morning, you think, well, the virgin birth, we can, we can kind of take that or leave it. And we kind of, you know, is that really important? It's absolutely important. Sin was passed down through, what is it, Adam, right? Is that what it says, right? So, so if Jesus had an earthly father, then Jesus' body is going to be what? It's going to be sinful. So, there was an immaculate conception through conceived of the Holy Spirit that, yes, he was in the womb of a human being, but he did not inherit a body like ours, corrupt in its nature like that. So the virgin birth, listen, is a really big deal. Can I have an amen? Really, really important. But there's denominations in America today that downplay the virgin birth. Christ's deity is really important. If God did not die on the altar of the cross as a sacrifice, then there is no forgiveness of sins. He's the only one because he was holy and righteous that could die. And so his deity, that he is God, is really important. His resurrection, that it's true, is really important. If there is no bodily resurrection, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, then pity us. There's no hope for us. The second coming is really important. There's a downplay of that. There's a downplay of the reliability of Scripture. There's a downplay of the depravity of man. And when people do this, they are downplaying the sovereignty of God. And what happens with false teachers? As they do this, they're denying the sovereign Lord who's brought the Scripture to us. And what false teachers will do is this, is they they have to deny Jesus in some areas because... The only way to do that is the only way to fit their teaching with their agenda is to deny some things and cast it away. And it also is the only way that they can justify their lifestyle. I'm so grateful how you love us and Martha and the Verlander family and you take care of us. We don't do this for money. I hope you know that. And, and I know sometimes you want to maybe give us more and take care of us more, and and I think all of that is perfectly fine, but I'm not here for your money. I'm not here for your possessions. I'm not here for you to give me your old car, your new car, whatever the case may be. I'm here to plead with your soul to stand on the foundation with truth. And as you do that, we'll love one another. We'll grow old together. We'll go to our funerals and our our kids' weddings together and celebrate the joy of all those things. You know what I'm excited about? We've been doing this about 10 years. Some of our kids are old enough. They're going to get married, and we're going to start having lots of weddings in the days ahead that we're going to be a part of. And I can't wait for that. It's going to be so fun that uh, now that 10 years have come and all these elementary kids and students, and now they're in college and they're leaving college, and they're going to get married one day. And what a joy that's going to be to get to experience that together. Can I get an amen to that too? It's going to be so, so fun. And so my heart for us is simply this, is that we cannot abuse grace. And we will abuse grace if we deny Scripture. That's just the inevitable result, is there will be an abuse. And so then Peter says this, those who do this, they doom their own faith. And that's the third thing, they will doom their own faith. So he says in in the last part of verse 1, they will bring upon themselves swift destruction. And here's... Another thing that is really big, and it's the next point, it's the first part of verse 2. And this is the tragedy. And many people will follow their sensuality. Do you hear the strongness of what Peter puts there? These false teachers are not calling people to godliness. Sounds like they are, but they're not. 
But the false teachers are driven by sensuality, and eventually you become like your leader if you're not careful and not discerning. You just follow whatever they say. And eventually you become like them, and as you look at them, they're sensual. There's immorality that is connected to their spiritual leadership that is a, makes a mockery of things. And so they lead people away, not into truth, but they lead them deeper into the flesh. Jesus told us it was going to be this way. Listen to these words. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy, and that wide gate where it's popular, it leads to destruction. And those who enter by it, they are, they are many, Jesus said. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We, we are not a big church, and if, uh, boy, I, I hope you stay here. And I, again, I talk about this. I, I hope we get to grow old together. I hope you stay here. And I think one of the, the, the beautiful, beautiful things of that reality is that we will grow deep together in deep faith together, and we will see the joy of life. And I, I'm kind of become convinced of this. I don't think we're ever going to be a big church, and I'm okay, I'm okay with that. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he had about 120 followers. He's the, I think he's probably the greatest leader in the history of the world, and about 120 people were there. We, at LifePoint, have doubled Jesus' ministry. <laughs> How awesome are we, you know? I'm okay, and I hope you are too, that we're never, we're never some big thing that loses its way. I'd rather be this and keep our way and enjoy what God has called us to do and the beauty of that. Jesus also said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons? And do many mighty works in your name. And I will say this. Be careful. And I think we have to be careful. The, the proclamation of our works. And I would be careful of church that brags a whole lot about great works. We want to do, we want to do great things for the kingdom. But our greatest thing that we want to do is the proclamation of the greatness of who God is. And Jesus said here. I'm going to say on that day. I didn't know you. you did, I didn't know you. You, did, you weren't in a relationship with me. So depart from me you worker of iniquity. So false teachers lead people away from the truth and deeper into sensuality, not into godliness. And in that path, Peter says, the next part of verse 2, and because of them, the way of truth is blasphemed, it's mocked. The path that false teaching leads to makes a mockery of the gospel. The word blaspheme means to stain, to ruin the reputation of something. And when the gospel is cheapened, it is maligned, and the bride's integrity is wounded by the rejection of the church of walking in the truth. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bowl. If they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Last thing that <clears throat> false teachers do is they exploit, he says in, the first, in verse 3, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words and their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. I want to talk about this for, for, for a moment because I think it's important as we close this down. It's interesting that he uses with biblical teachers that they're upholding the truth of God's word but with the false teachers it's about greed this word greed is pretty interesting in the Greek it means this that they teach flattering words and creative words so that they can get the things of the earth like money and possessions from the people that they're teaching you see that anywhere on Christian television it's there. We want you to give financially. 
because it's biblical, not because I need to make a house payment. You get the blessing of giving, the church does, and we get to go on missions and things of that nature. So there's, there's a, a, a fruit of that that benefits my life. But I don't want you to give financially of your time, talent, and your treasure for my benefit. I want you to get it because God just loves cheerful givers. And He brings blessing and He, he does these awesome things as we, as we say back to Him, God, you are, you are powerful enough to allow me to live on 90% and I'll trust you to do with the 10%. And we've talked about this before. Does it ever make any sense Sometimes when you on paper to give 10%, no, how are we going to make it this month? I don't know. We do. You do, don't you? you we, make, we make it. Why? Because, see, God has an economy of things and a math that is not like man's math. And he just uniquely does beautiful things. But false teachers exploit for personal gain. They exploit for personal gain. The word exploit here in the Greek means plastic, and it's the idea of they have plastic theology. It's just fake and empty and hollow. And so Peter says there, lastly, he just says, listen, this has been this way in the beginning in verse 1. It was, it was in the Old Testament. It's now in the New Testament, and it's going to continue. It's not idle. It's from long ago. It's not idle. It's going to continue to be here, and their destruction is not asleep. It's, it's, it hadn't gone to sleep, had, hadn't been done away with. And so he's just saying this is reality. And so the church for us, it's really important for us to uphold the truth of the Scripture. So let's close with this. <clears throat> You're going to think, I can't do this. I can do this. I'm going to give you, in case you think I never tell you what to do when you leave here, I'm, t- I'm fixing to tell you what to do when you leave here. Okay? Well, are you going to listen to me? Hello? Okay, all right. I'm going to give you eight things, what you ought to do when you leave here today, based on what I told you here. Eight things, all connected to the Scripture. First one is simply this. Sit under the teaching of the Scripture. Hear it, listen to it. Get your kids here on Wednesday nights. Get your kids here on Sunday mornings. Do you all remember a time we've become so sophisticated in the church in 2019. You remember when we used to go to Sunday school, age group Sunday school, and then we would, after Sunday school, we would do what? We would go to big church. Do you remember that? And we did that every Sunday. You know what's happened in the church today? And I'm just going to be honest, as your pastor, it's, it, it's present in our church right now today, is that we think, gosh, my kids don't want to go hear 50 minutes of that. They're going to think that's boring. Yeah, I, when I was seven, I thought big church was boring. But now that I'm 53, I look back and I can remember moments of watching my parents sing and watching my teacher for my second grade teacher the now that I'm in sixth grade and she was my teacher in second grade and she's four rows down from me. And I remember watching her Worship and love God's Word. Parents, get your kids at church. If they're in your house, tell them what to do. Tell them. Why? What's better to center the authority of God's Word than to sit at home watching whatever they watch, whatever you watch, whatever we watch, whatever the case may be. And I want to say this to you, the adults. Get in a life group. Get in a life group. Sit under the teaching of the authority of God's Word. Listen to it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. I'm memorizing Second Peter right now. I do not have a brain. I, I, do not have a, I don't have a great brain to memorize. Some of y'all are smart people. Mike Chandler is smart. He was a college professor at Texas A&M right there. Nobody said whoop. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Aggie's in the room. Jamie, gosh. I'm going to tell on you to Texas A&M, okay? <clears throat> I, have to, I have to work really hard to memorize the Bible. We do not want to get to heaven one day and be judged for our works and say, God, I, I, just, I just didn't have the time to memorize your word. Do you really want to tell him that? 
Do you really want to have that conversation with Jesus? You do not. I do not. So I want to memorize his word. Study his word. Joshua, we're going through. By the way, can I say something about Joshua? Boy, these last few weeks of chapters have been, woo! have they not? Uh, Joshua is inspired, but it's not always inspiring. Okay? It's that way with some of the other books of the Bible as well. But you know what's great? That we've been walking through all of these allotments to the tribes, and they've just gone, oh, man. It's just good to be faithful, to read chapters. You just can't, it's not a lot there, but it's Scripture. So read it. Obey it. Obey the Scripture. Defend and contend for the Scripture. Live the Scripture. And lastly, proclaim the Scripture in the neighborhoods, in our nation, and in the nations. So, if you think I never tell you what to do, I just gave you eight things to go do this week. Go do those things. Do these things. Church is a pillar and a buttress of truth. Let's pray together.